Welcome to the Sellernomics Podcast, sharing valuable tips and information in the Amazon and e-commerce space. Each week, we deliver the best interviews with some of the top Amazon personalities in the industry to help you grow your business. Today's episode is brought to you by Gatita, the global leader in FBA auditing and reimbursements. And now, here is your host, Rob Stanley. Hey everyone, welcome to another great episode of Sellonomics. We've got a good one for you today. Something that a lot of people try to avoid or don't want to talk about, me personally, not my thing, and that is accounting. So uh, today I've got uh, Jeff, I, I'm sorry, I got Tyler, Jeff Coates here. Let's bring him into the uh, room. Hey Tyler, what's going on? Hey Stan, how are you doing buddy? Good, good. I'm so, just you. <laughs> Look, we're always here to have a good time and give I out know. great information. And that's what it's about, really. So just to give everybody a quick uh, brief of what we're going to be talking about. Tyler's going to be talking about managing cash flow in the Amazon marketplace. Uh, uh, this is something that is a big question. And also, a lot of people, I, I don't want to deal with that, like dealing with cash flow and stuff. Forget that, man. But, uh, you know, that's why we brought you in, right? Because we need yeah. to deal with it. It is something that you got to be aware of. I think there, there could be in my opinion, you could save money, make money by understanding this a little bit better. And let's kick this off. Let's kick this off with, you know, how is making money as an Amazon seller changed over the last few years? Let's jump in that a little bit and then we'll try to transition into some of these, uh, you know, manage it, management tips for people. Love it, Rob. Well, thank, thanks for having me. Um, by the way, just a funny, super quick story. My, my grandfather actually changed his name to Jeff Jeffcoat because some people call us Jeff. So I was just messing with you when I called you. Stan, <laughs> I knew that. So it's you like, call me yeah. whatever you want. <laughs> so, just don't call me very often. So, so you know, That's when right. you think about the uh, art and science of making money as an Amazon seller, uh, it's like anything else. I'm, I'm a big college football fan, Rob. I don't know. If, I don't know where me you too. are. Love it. So when my beloved Bulldogs here in, in Georgia, so we're, we're good right now. When we're playing against a trash team, we beat them because we're a dominant freak of nature force. We have better athletes. We're just better. But when Georgia runs up against an Alabama or a Ohio State or one of these teams that's elite, you win the game on the margins. That's who commits fewer penalties, who doesn't turn the ball over, stuff like that. And I think if you guys kind of apply that to the Amazon world, right? Five, six, seven years ago, you put a garlic press, you put a you put a widget on Amazon and it sold. And there was such a gigantic blue ocean that you, you tended to sell for a profitable margin and everyone was happy. But as the marketplace has gotten a little bit more saturated, it's not completely saturated, but as it's gotten a little bit fuller, it is our job to learn how to manage the edges of the business. Can I get a couple of days of my cash back? Can I improve my tacos and ad budgets a little bit, right? So my point is to say this, it was easier to make money, kind of like, by the way, Captain Obvious here, easier to make money five years ago on Amazon than it is now. And our job right now is to focus on the little things that drive profitability for our brands. And so, you know, that that uh, takes a lot of different forms. So you, you think about the way cost of goods sold has been structured. We'll buy a product. We may have gone to Alibaba, source it, have some freight forward or send it to us here in the States. States, and then we put it on the marketplace and voila, we make money. Well, now for our supply chain, we're having to be a little bit more focused on, you know, hey, listen, we, we got we to fly to China. We got to drink sake and kiss babies and spend time nurturing those relationships with our supply partners so that we can 
make sure that the quality of our product is as good as it possibly can be and that the um, pricing and terms are as good as we can possibly get them. And you can't get those kind of terms if you do not uh, run a tight ship. Right, Rob? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So why do you think it is that most of these sellers are kind of just ignoring these little things, uh, you know, and keeping an eye on these things or, or talking more with their vendors about, you know, how could I get terms or get better quality or like what are sellers doing that you've seen that are reasons why they're just making this so hard for them to do? You know, I, I think you probably saw this also in the in the Katita world there, Rob, but, you know, three years ago, so many Amazon sellers were being acquired in like lightning fast acquisitions from our aggregator friends out there. And the result of that is that it incentivized this Rob to grow as quickly as possible and to have a, you know, frankly, here was the profile. We wanted to have a brand with five SKUs on one marketplace that was growing at 50% year over year, like, you know, that kind of thing. And I think as the market has matured and there's not this frothy pile of cash acquiring us, it's actually just a regression back to common sense where like, if you and I were to start any business, like pick a business, if you and I start it, it would, it would be about the, can we source a product? Can we attach to a customer? Can we do it profitably? And then can we try to scale it? And so the other thing that's maybe an interesting dynamic here is listen, I can juggle so many plates as a CEO, but I'm going to run out of hands at some point. And so as we get a little bit bigger, we're kind of hard on ourselves being like, oh man, I wish I was like smarter and could pay attention to inventory better or pay attention to ad budgets better. But what I'm seeing as a CFO for a, a large pile of Amazon uh, sellers is this is not always a game of superior intelligence. It's more a game of superior attention. Do I have the right team around me? Do I have the right processes in place where I can automate paying attention to things that frankly, I don't have the time to pay attention to because I'm too busy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What about, uh, let's talk a little bit about cash flow. You know, I, yeah. I'm always, I've talked to a lot of Amazon sellers have been in this world a long time and it doesn't seem like they're always managing their cash flow very well. It seems like they always need more inventory and they don't have the money for it, or they're waiting for the inventory to sell, to get the money to buy the next one, which can cause, you know, gaps in their inventory, not having it in stock. What kind of issues have you seen regarding like managing cash flow with inventory? I think the the thing that's become really apparent this year, Rob, I mean, first of all, let's paint a picture back up two years. I don't know if you guys remember this, those of you who have been going for a couple of years here, but but fall of 2021, the world was blooming for e-commerce and the supply chain had been really messed up and money was cheap and interest rates were low. And so what we did as a seller group is we went out um, and we bought a ton of inventory. I mean, we bought a ton of it because we thought Q4 2021 was going to be the same kind of um, crush it quarter as 2020. What turned out was that interest rates have tripled since then and demand has been a little bit suppressed. Not a lot, but a little bit. And so we weren't worried about managing cash at all two years ago because we had a lot of it and we were selling quickly. But we woke up a year later and now two years later and have realized, oh my gosh, I've got an additional 95 days or 100 days of inventory sitting on my balance sheet. And the loan that I got is now triple the interest rate that it used to be. And so when you add those two factors together, I've got a ton of inventory and I'm paying more to borrow money than I used to. Oh boy, does that just put massive pressure on these Amazon businesses where if they were you know, more conservative and had a little bit of extra cash in the tank, 
uh, they're probably okay. But for businesses that were very aggressive and, and decided to launch 10 new channels or 75 new SKUs at the same time, some of them are finding themselves in some trouble and it's just changing. Uh, it's just harder because we got to pay attention to it and it's requiring us to be a little bit more intentional as cash flow managers. Yeah, no, that's 100% true. And so when, when you get together with a seller and you start kind of looking at their books and stuff, um, what is something that a seller could do themselves to kind of prep and be prepared to get somebody like you or maybe possibly even do it themselves to kind of get things in order? What have you, what is, there's gotta be something that's kind of like a starting point that you see every time, like if they just started here, you know, type thing, what kind of tip could you share regarding that? So I would say, like, let's say you're just starting off. First thing to do is to open a separate checking account and get a separate credit card from your personal. So buy groceries, buy flowers for your significant other on your personal account and have some kind of a dedicated cash vehicle for your business. Uh, you could do that probably four or five months before you ever need to start bookkeeping. Um, so my, my story is I, I started a healthcare company in 2012, grew to hundred employees and got the chance to exit it in 2017. I'm an accountant that has a banking background. I didn't do my own damn books for the first six months of that venture. I started this business next, which is an accounting firm. I still didn't do my own books for the first couple of months. My, my point is don't spend a lot of money on services like mine at seller accountant. Um, don't spend a ton of energy. You probably need to have a separate bank account, a separate credit card. Uh, you know, once you get to about 10 to 15,000 a month in revenue, you're going to get QuickBooks online or zero. Those are the two dominant softwares and you're going to do the bare minimum to keep things in order. Here's the caveat. You need to have some kind of a dashboarding tool that's helping you understand if your unit economics are positive, right? I'm selling the product on the marketplace. I know I bought it for $5. I'm selling it for $12. Uh, am I making a profit after advertising? you know, whatever you're already paying for. I'm mean, literally, there's a hundred products out there, whatever you're paying for, for your keyword research or something else, actually use that profit module within that tool. And then once you reach, let's just say about 20,000 a month in, re in revenue, then it might be time to look at, a, at getting someone to do bookkeeping for you so that you're able to focus more of your energy on growing the business. Um, and the reason it's really important as you grow to do bookkeeping is sometimes those dashboards don't have 100% accurate data. And it's always crucial to stress test them against good books where your balance sheet actually balances. What that means is I can go to the internet banking for my bank and I can see, oh yeah, the bank balance on November 30th was actually 112,000 or whatever it is. In other words, your balance sheet should actually balance and it should tell you a story that forces you to believe it. Uh, I, I'll give you an example of this. Um, we had an effort at one point, Rob, where we were trying to help a, help a client launch a new product. We were convinced it was profitable until we dug into the actual economics of that line and realized, oh my gosh, our cost to acquire these customers is about double the profitability on it. And so we had a, we had a loser. And that information was crucial because we got, we were able to give my buddy a raise, just stopping that product. Let's just can that one and focus on the ones that are profitable. Yeah, absolutely. The only thing I'm going to disagree with you on is they should use your service and spend money on it because uh, <laughs> doing it wrong could cost you a lot more down the road, in, in my opinion. Yeah. And I have seen that happen. Uh, the other thing that I want to mention is that I have seen this happen too, is people start with some like Excel sheet 
and, and trying to run their whole company on an Excel sheet instead of something as basic as like a QuickBooks online or something like that. So yeah, yeah Tyler, great, great tips there though. I, I absolutely love that. Definitely go back, listen to what Tyler just said, because all those points about the two different credit cards, having the different accounts and keeping things separate, it's gonna start when you start a company, think bigger than you already are. Think that it's going to grow. It's going to get big and have those things in place because it'll save you a lot of money uh, than having to go back and kind of redo all those again. I've been there and done that, uh, you know, both ways. I started one the wrong way. And then that, when I started a second one, I started it the right way. So definitely uh, coming from somebody who knows. But you know what? We're going to take a quick break here. And uh, when we come back, though, we're going to talk a little bit about some KPIs that Amazon sellers should be paying attention to right after this break. Today's episode is brought to you by Gatita, the global leader in FBA auditing and reimbursements. Get $400 in free FBA reimbursements at gatita.com slash sellernomics. Yeah, so be sure to head on over to gatita.com for sellernomics. Get your $400 in free FBA reimbursements. That's from me to you guys. But uh, just to kind of reiterate, we have Tyler Jeff Coates on from Seller Accountant, and we're talking about managing cash flow in the Amazon marketplace. And right before the break, I was talking about KPI. So Tyler, just to start everything off, uh, that's something that Lisa and I both do. Explain to everybody what KPI means, first of all, and why it's important for Amazon sellers to have some of these profit KPIs in place. Yeah, so KPI stands for Key Performance Indicator, and it's exactly what you just said, Rob. It's a a number, a metric, a, a, a some piece of data that can help me understand if I'm on track or off track. It's almost like if you imagine, you know, flying a plane, which I'm not a pilot, I have no idea how to fly a plane, but if it's cloudy outside and I'm going to have to use those instruments in front of me to know if I have the right altitude, if I'm if I'm leaning in the right direction, so that I, so I don't run into a mountain, right? And so I kind of think about the KPIs in your business like those dashboards, those um, dials on the on the on the dash that help you know which direction you're heading. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now we've talked a bit about some metrics and some you know key things to get your business going. Uh, you know, what about uh, let, uh, tell us what kind of metrics should Amazon sellers be paying attention to the most and how can they apply some of these metrics? Yeah, so the most important KPI or metric to keep an eye on as an Amazon seller is uh, we, we kind of, we call it PAG, P-A-G, post advertising gross profit. And what that really means is real gross profit. It's uh, it's not enough to know what your profit is after your cost of goods sold. No, 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 no. We've got to have our Amazon fees and most importantly, our advertising dollars. I want to know what my profit margin is after I account for ads. And here's the reason, Rob, you and I could launch an Amazon business. And if, if you give us a million dollar budget for ads, we can sell a lot of a really crappy product. I don't know whether I'm happy with the product's economics until I know the margins after ads. At seller account, we call that PAG, post-advertising gross profit. Give you a little, um, by the way, you got a little benchmark there. Any private label brand that can capture at least 20%. So think about that in your mind. Sales minus refunds, plus your reimbursements that you get because Rob's team helps you get them, minus your Amazon fees, minus the product cost, and then minus those crucial Amazon PPC advertising expenses. That profit number, if it's more than 20%, you've got a pretty healthy profit, a product. If it's more than 25%, I would say you have a really, really strong product that you might be able to scale. And, and on the inverse of that, if it's less than 15 points, if I can't capture 15 points after ads, 
I may be looking at the product that's a loser, that, that there's not enough evidence in the market that I can sustainably make a profit selling. And I just got to be careful tying up too much of my cash in those low margin products. So Tyler, I'm going to go a little off topic because you brought up an interesting point. If somebody has a losing product, what have you seen some of your, your accounts and people you deal with? How do they like, do they just lower the price and start liquidating, taking a loss on it, trying to get back whatever they can, or do they just cut their losses and liquidate it out in one big shot uh, to try to get some of that money back? I know this is, may not be exactly your topic or, or the thing that you know the most of, but what have you seen when you've been dealing with some of these people, if they do have a losing product or, Hey, I just need to get out from underneath this. Yeah. I mean, step one is to have an honest conversation. <laughs> we call it keep, kill or cuddle, right? So if I really do a skew level or ASIN level analysis, let's say of the last 90 days, by the way, let's make this crazy tactical. Let's say you use Tika metrics or helium 10, pull up whatever one you use, go to that profit tool, you know, make it the last 90 days, upload your cost of goods sold, right? You guys can envision this. And then literally look at that profitability for each and every ASIN in your portfolio. And the ones that are negative, let's start there. The ones that have a negative profitability, you're going to say, is there something I can nurture or cuddle about this skew to get it, you know, rehabbed to where it can be healthy? I might even, I hate to say this, almost, almost view it like if you had like an employee you were putting on probation, this ASIN is on probation for the next 30 days. It's going to have to perform at this percent, right? Like you, you, you really just have to be objective about it. And and so at some point, to your point, Rob, you might decide, I need an exit strategy. I'm done with the blue one. I thought the blue one was going to be profitable. The blue one stinks. And, yeah. you know, I don't think you should take the inventory in the backyard and just burn it. Like if you have an option of, you know, turning off your ads and lowering the price to really close to a break even, uh, that's probably the most successful model I've found because you guys know this. It's really expensive to grab product back from FBA in particular. I have yet to meet uh, super successful liquidation companies. I mean, they all try. It's not, not a lack of effort. It's just a really hard thing to do. I would say this, the most common uh, kind of instance of this, Rob, is really, okay, I've decided the blue one's not good. I'm just going to keep running it close to break even. I know it's an, it's a subpar skew and I'm just not going to reorder it once it gets to the bottom of the yeah. barrel. I'm going to let it stock out. And if I have the ability to rearrange my parent child orientations to take advantage of the reviews, I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to waste another dime borrowing, uh, borrowing money to buy that inventory. Yeah. I mean, you could definitely, I think you, you just mentioned something there that could be a, actually an advantage. If you're within that same listing, you're selling multiple colors and let's say the black one or the blue one does great, but this green lime green one is not doing good. Take advantage of lowering that one to get, maybe build up some reviews, right? Build up your reviews, build up your listings on it. Uh, you know, by getting that one down to a point where it's basically just break even, you still could take advantage because if you notice the reviews come to the whole listing. So it's going to yep. push that whole listing up. Even if there's three different colors and two do great and one doesn't do so well, that's okay. Use that to your advantage to definitely, uh, you know, maybe boost your listing up. Uh, one of the things we talked about uh, kind of before the show started, and maybe you covered it and I just didn't understand it correctly. You were talking a little bit about return on working capital. Uh, did I miss something there? Did you use maybe some different terms or have we not had a chance to talk about that? I know we talked about KPIs for a while there and we're uh, a couple different things. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about 
what your definition of, I think you called the ROWC return on mm -hmm. working capital is and how that applies uh, to some of these Amazon sellers metrics. By the way, when you hear an acronym like ROWC, you know for a fact that someone screwed up and let an accountant like market a new KPI. <laughs> this is terrible, man. It's, I just want to apologize for those of you guys that, what's this guy talking about PAG and ROWC? So no, I haven't talked about it yet, Rob. All right, let's think about this. My dad's a real estate guy. He's a broker. We do some real estate investing. And if you and I, Rob, were going to buy a corner piece of real estate in whatever town, whatever town we live in, we yeah. would never try to decide whether we were happy with the profit of that investment until we knew what the investment was. In other words, the core definition of return on investment is happiness divided by what I had to invest to get that happiness. And I think we forget to do this in e-commerce. And so, you know, seller accountant, we invented a metric called return on working capital. And here's, I don't want to get too technical here because you guys are going to get glazed over. Like you guys are already throwing acronyms at us, but here's basically what it is. If I could somehow understand that profit number that I just described for a 12 month period. So imagine you have a SKU that over the course of 12 months generates $10,000 in profit and happiness for me. That's my numerator. For those of you guys, that's the top of the fraction. And if I could just, if I could understand what the average amount of cash I had tied up in that exact product was, right? Profit for a year divided by the average amount of cash. That basic uh, formula gives me what's called an annual return on capital. I call it return on working capital. And here's what I want to tell you guys. If you took the time to do that math problem for every single one of the products in your portfolio, you would immediately learn something fascinating. You would learn that there are some products, Rob, that I don't have to pay for them for six months. I got great terms. And even though they're a lower profit margin, I love those because they actually generate better annual returns on my investment. And you're going to realize the other opposite end of it where, wow, I really, really, really loved the green one because it has great profit margins. And I brag about these profit margins when I go to a conference only to realize that I'm sitting on six years of inventory. I've got so much freaking inventory for this product that I couldn't get my money back unless I did this until I die, right? Like that kind of thing. And so finding a yeah. metric that allows us to go do an apples to apples comparison, whether we're drop shipping, whether we're reselling or whether we're a private label brand, uh, return on working capital is, is, is our effort to do that for companies and for products. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Tyler, before we uh, transition a little bit over to seller accountant and talking a little bit more about the company, how you got that started, is there any bit more information that maybe you want to share with Amazon sellers uh, regarding anything with financial performance, KPIs, metrics, tips that they should, uh, you know, something they should do, anything we missed? It's, it's entirely up to you, Tyler. I think we pretty much nailed it. Just do yourself a favor. Excellent. Way before you hire a CFO, Take five minutes a week, guys, and look at the financial performance of your products and keep the great ones, kill the crappy ones, and nurture or cuddle those that are kind of in the middle. Absolutely. I'll, I'll give one little tip also. Know your landed cost. You got to yeah. know your landed cost. You're not going to know if you're making money or not making money if you do not understand your landed cost. There's all kinds of little things involved. Go really nitpick through it. If that box over at the factory costs you an extra, you know, two cents, make sure that's factored in. Uh, you got to get that landed cost right. So, okay, we're going to talk a bit about seller accountant. So, Tyler, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, seller accountant, kind of how you got it started and what kind of services it offers so people know more about it? Yeah, thanks, Rob. So, I, I am an accountant by trade. 
Um, but I actually went straight into banking after school and, and had the opportunity in grad school to join a healthcare startup. Uh, we grew really quickly to about 120 employees and I sold that company in 2017. Guy, uh, Rob, the most miserable 90 days of my life were the lame duck session where I was the due diligence exiting leader and having a new team get involved. But because I was accountant boy, I was relegated to bookkeeper. So you think about that. So we have a company with 120 employees. All of a sudden, my job is to do the books. And I started looking at QuickBooks online for this company. And I was like, damn, I wish I had paid attention to this when I was trying to run this company. And it, and it kind of dawned on me, Rob, I'm, I'm an accountant. I worked at a bank for five years. I have a finance-focused MBA. And I almost crashed this business almost every other month as we were scaling really quickly. And and it made me realize that having an education in finance is not the same thing as knowing how to manage money in a business. And so as I was kind of going through that, you know, kind of, it was kind of a depressing quarter of being the lame duck leader in that company. I started thinking about what my next business would be and had a, you know, had a cup of coffee with a guy that's in the Amazon space. I had been an eBay seller back in college many moons ago. And I was like, wow, you mean it's not Amazon sending me this stuff? That's great. It's crazy. And so anyway, all, all that to say, we we signed the closing documents, sold company A on January 31st of 2018, and then took my wife and my $2 camping. Next Monday, came back and started Seller Accountant. And our thesis is really, really simple. Uh, Bezos is going to make money. Uh, the guys at Shopify are going to make money. I want the CEOs of half a million to $20 million companies to make money. I want the, I want the guys that are fueling our economy, building small businesses to win. And in order for them to win, they're going to have to become more sophisticated in the way they manage their money than they think they have to. I mean, listen, take it from me. I was a banker accountant and couldn't manage cash. You know, like you, you go to a class and you learn about a balance sheet and then you, you then you're in the fetal position at two o'clock in the morning, praying you can make payroll the next day. That's the moment that you get your education in accounting. And so, seller accountant exists to help sellers make money, manage it, manage the resources. We only do two things: bookkeeping, fractional CFO. We're we're really good at both, but that's that's kind of our story and how we came about. Excellent. And Tyler, let just let everybody know also. Uh, when is the right time to reach out to seller accountant? It, it, you know, is, when I'm a new seller, six months in, a year in five years in, and then also let us know how, uh, how it works. Do the, is it a monthly service or is it kind of a, as it goes type service? Let us know. Yeah. So a couple of things there. One is we actually, I have a do it yourself course and Rob, if you want me to, I can give you a coupon where your, your listeners can get it for free. So we, we have a, you're doing like $500 a month in revenue and you just need something to get started. We'll teach you how to do it for free. Um, I think by the time you get to $10,000 a month or so in revenue, Guys, it's time to start focusing on what, uh, this is my dad's best advice to me. He said, Tyler, spend your time where you're making your money. And so let somebody else count the money. Let somebody else go get your refund and audit cases for you. Spend your time developing products, understanding your customers, negotiating your sourcing and that kind of thing. And so once you reach 10, maybe 15K a month in revenue, it's time to get organized so that you can't tell yourself a rosy story that isn't true. You really want to have good books. You really want to make sure no one in your company or Amazon stealing from you, that kind of thing. And so at that point, you probably go to selleraccountant.com. We'd love to have a, give you a free consult and, and teach you more about how to improve your bookkeeping. And then if you've got a little bit more budget, uh, so, so we, we are a monthly fixed fee uh, prices starting at $500 a month. So it's not a huge commitment for small sellers that are trying to get their books done. Um, you guys will be shocked at how affordable our CFO service is. Like if you want to have a team do your cash flow forecasting, help you with some of that skew level return on capital stuff that I described, 
you might be talking about less than $2,000 a month to get that kind of service. Once you get a little bit larger, we'd love to be a part of your team uh, when you're ready. Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're going to do this. If anybody's interested in that free course that uh, Tyler just talked about, uh, we're going to throw it up on the screen here. But Tyler, tell everybody how they get a hold of you, the website, and there you got to mention Selenomics. So if you go to Tyler, say, I heard you on the Selenomics podcast. I heard you with Rob, the bald guy. Well, we're both bald, but uh, <laughs> I heard you on a podcast. Make sure That's you right. mention Selenomics and he'll he'll make sure to get you that free course if you're interested in it. Uh, sellercountant.com. And then Tyler, uh, the email, go ahead and give everybody your email if they want to reach out to you directly. Yeah. So just my first name, Tyler, T-Y-L-E-R at selleraccountant.com. Perfect. And for all those that are listening, it's selleraccountant, S-E-L-L-E-R-A-C-C-O-U-N-T-A-N-T.com. Yes, I had to read that off the screen. <laughs> That's a tough one. Seller accountant, just like it sounds, and uh, .com. And just go ahead and head over there. Uh, reach out to Tyler if you had any questions or you were just totally confused about everything we talked about, you definitely want to reach out to Tyler. Uh, and again, it's Tyler at sellercountant.com if you want to email Tyler for that. Tyler, it's been it's been absolutely amazing having you on. Uh, absolutely great information. Uh, over, a little over my head on some of it, but again, anytime I, I'm in a business and I say something's over my head, that means I need to find somebody who knows more than me and hire them. And you're definitely that guy because you had all the answers and knew a lot of what to look at and how to help some people out. So good stuff. I really appreciate you being on the Seller Knowledge Podcast. Uh, any last words you want to throw in there? Other than just to say grateful. Thank you, Rob. Appreciate you having me. And, um, Absolutely. you know, just super quick plug. I also, I, I just had uh, one of Rob's, Rob's colleagues on my podcast, Return on Podcast, uh, which is get it ROI, ROP. That's kind of my, you know, again, accountant, accountant jokes. But, you know, guys, listen, finding ways to get better is, is important. I'm trying to get better. Rob's trying to get better. Rob, thanks for having me on the show today. Yeah, for sure. So thanks everybody for listening. We appreciate those thumbs up, hit that like and that thumbs up button, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Thanks for joining us this week on the Sellernomics podcast. Special thanks to our sponsor, Gatita. Did you know that Amazon probably owes you money for FBA reimbursements? Get $400 in free FBA reimbursements at gatita.com slash sellernomics. Be sure to join us again next week for more great tips on how to grow your business. And thanks again for listening.